Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 101, and we are finishing Dawn Shard today, and we will be starting Rhythm of War next week. We've got quite a bit to talk about this week, but first of all, Elliot, how are you? I'm good. I'm very good. We are starting our second century worth of, of episodes, so this is this is exciting stuff. Episode 101. Episode 101, we finally have a fairly good definition for Dawn Shard. Paul, how are you? I'm well. Thank you for asking, Trevor. Have we disproven all of your Dawn Shard theories? Have we improved any of your theories, Paul? I think it's safe to say that I've been right all along. You usually are. I think it's safe to say. Can I get two words to summarize uh, chapters 16 through the epilogue of Dawn Shard? We'll start with Paul. Yes, my two words for the end of our uh, book here is art and reordering. Okay, reordering art. Elliot? My two are want and need. Okay, let's use these four words and finish Don Chard. All right, Paul, go ahead and go first. So art is pretty quick and easy reference to our Dawn Shard we see. It gave me a lot of artistic energy, and uh, it seemed just like it was a piece of art that latched onto Risen. We'll talk about that. Um, and also, it feels like it makes Risen see things in a much more like artistic or vibrant way, which I thought was really cool. Um my other word is reordering, which mostly has to do with the words of our Windrunners, who say they're ideals, um, and how it's the ideals we've heard before, but in different lights or different ways, sort of. Um, so kind of like redoing those a little bit, making them more personal to each of our characters. Also, uh, a, kind of a bonus mention to the agreement, or, or like discussion between Rissen and Nickley because I wasn't expecting this or at least how it happened um, and it it felt like kind of a, a stretching the word a little bit like a reordering of how the sleepless are interacting with the world itself like the people in the world and everything um, yeah so, so like, kind of a, a shout-out to that, which we'll talk about more. Elliot? My two words are centered around one quote from Chapter 19, which is actually a, a quote of Rissen's Babsk. What's his name? Vistim. I don't remember now. Yeah, that guy. Uh, as Rissen is going through this negotiation... 
know, she's trying to figure out how do I, how do I do this? How do I convince these sleepless, these powerful beings that, you know, to do what I, what I want them to do to have them not kill me. And part of, you know, how she reasons through that is actually really clever, but the quote is, don't give them what they say they want, give them what they need, which is a really interesting, like business strategy, if you will, it, it goes against kind of the, the traditional, you know, mentality you might have, which would be like modern marketing, which is, you know, tell people what they, what they want and then give them what they, what they think they want. This is like the opposite. This is no, go, go deeper, find out not what they think they want, but what they actually need and then give them that, which I thought was fascinating because that ties in directly to the punchline of the whole story, which is spoilers for end of book here. Rissen becomes the Dawn shard which gives her the power to change. And I, I stewed on that little phrase there, power to change for a long time until I thought back to this quote, which is why I had to bring it up. If you think about it, that, that giving someone what they need and not what they want, that is changing someone. If you just give them what they say they want, what they're asking you to give them, you didn't change them at all. You didn't affect them at all. You met their desire, but they didn't change. If you can show them what they really need, you just changed them in a subtle way, in, in a positive way. And so Risen already has this power to change people. She wields it in this story. But now she has the Dawn Shard, which is told, we're told is the power to change. So now I'm envisioning this like becoming magnified and the abilities she's about to have here. I'm really, really curious about where Risen goes from here and what this is going to look like with her having this whatever it is in her head. So that's a very long-winded explanation, my two words, but we can talk about it more when we get through the chapters. The the want versus need quote originally comes from Vistim teaching Rissin about contracts. And you can anyone can sell anyone what they think they want. But in order to establish a reliable contract, you need to supply something that they need so that they come back to you and you can have a good relationship there and but mutually beneficial. If you if you trick someone into thinking they need this and they buy it from you, yes, you've succeeded that one time, but if you actually figure out what they need and can re can supply that, then both of you are benefiting from it and that's part of the whole trade contract. So I I really like that you you picked that. We'll come back to that. Chapter 16 we left off two weeks ago now, episode 99, with jumping into the water after, uh, when Nickley has invaded the ship. Uh, Cord yells at Nickley in Horn Eater, grabs Rissen, and jumps off the jumps off the boat. Cord then quickly... Uh, it's just the narrator talking, actually. Cord sees the Luxbren diving under this tunnel that Cheery Cheery went earlier and it they start swimming down there and Cord's fairly good at swimming and can pull Rissen along with her and the Luxbren help them through through this tunnel they push them into through this tunnel under the island and they come up under this underground chasm and 
pull out their spheres and figure out they're in this treasure trove. Now there's a whole bunch of stuff in here which we can unpack here in a second, but there's all sorts of there's also sorts of cool stuff and the luck sprint has have guided them down in here where Cheery Cheery went. So uh what were you guys' first impressions of this underground chasm where um there's this big mural which we'll talk about here in a second. I was a little bit confused at first of like how far were we swimming? Because in my mind, we're like underneath the island somewhat, not underneath the entire island, you know, but like had to swim down to like come up into this underwater area. And yeah, I guess I was a little bit surprised that we got there. Like, I, I just wasn't expecting this at all. I was expecting to find more of like a secret tunnel thing from the island not like a place you had to swim under from outside i guess but it's neat i i was i was surprised i too was a, a little bit surprised i was we, we were talking about this last episode a little bit it seemed like the water was not a great choice to escape from these you know hordes of, of kremlings but the the Luxbren seemed to come to their their aid here to help them along. And I actually had to do a little bit of a rethink about the Sleepless a little bit. Because by the end of this, we'll, we'll talk about this more in a little bit, we learned that the Sleepless are not from Roshar, at least originally. And so I had to shift my brain a little bit and that I think of everything is on Roshar as a crab, right? Right. We, we've talked about this before. Everything is a crab. So automatically, I'm thinking, you know, Kremlings, crabs. These are just little little crab beings. Maybe that's not true. Maybe that's not actually true here. We, I think, when I read the word Kremlin, I immediately think little crab. But I, I had to remind myself that's not necessarily true. We, we've learned that they use the term Kremlin to kind of refer to anything like small and scampery. Right. And so, like... Just how there's other words that they use them in a much more generic sense that maybe we think about them. And so I actually had to do a little bit of a mental correction and, and that maybe not these, these sleepless may not actually be made up of crabs and maybe more like, you know, insect sort of things almost. They actually in the story like correct Rissen at some point, or maybe it's cord, and like, um, excuse me, we actually prefer to be called hordlings, not yes. friendlings, which was a great moment. So now I'm 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 kind of maybe they're not quite as adept underwater as as I would expect them to be as you know Rosharians because they're not Rosharians. They they do say they're specifically here because the Dawn Shard is here. That's the only reason why they're still on Roshar is to protect the Dawn Shard. So yeah, the Kremlin is just anything that is small and scary. So. It, if it's if it's a crab, great. If it's an insect, great. If it's you know, whatever small mammal, still still a Kremlin. All right, we get a vocabulary dump in in chapter sixteen. There, Rissin and Cord show up to the mural, and Cord doesn't seem that interested in the mural, but the the mural specifically catches Rissen's eye and Kor's over here trying to get this shard plate to work that she just found because you know they're being chased by sleepless and she feels she needs to defend herself 
Rissen goes over to this mural and gets distinct impressions in her mind as if it's a thought from someone else is how she describes it. So she originally thinks she's getting these impressions herself, but she realizes it's an external force pushing thoughts onto her mind is how she describes it. And it gives a very, um, it gives impressions um, and words, keywords in her mind. And they are as follows. Resignation, confidence, understanding in italics, change is what how it how it ends and at the end of 16 right as the kremlings right as nickley's coming out of the water it kind of pulls onto her mind and says accept accept the change and she says yes she audibly says yes zip it jumps from the mural to her head and nickley doesn't realize that until halfway through the next chapter but it she seemingly extracts the dawn shard from the mural after she audibly says yes to it so there's a couple new mechanics happening here what were what are your guys's questions so my first is less of a question and more of a emotion thought all all of this time we've been trying to track down dawn shards we've been trying to figure out what they are what they do. We've been suspicious about anything and everything that we've seen. And here we, we get to it. Rissen is standing in the room, facing the Dawn Shard on the wall in the form of this mural. And then somehow it attaches itself to Rissen. It, it like enters her mind. And I found myself thinking at the end of all of this, I don't know that I really understand what a Dawn Shard is. We found it. It's here but I don't know that I can really tell you what it is because it's still ambiguous in my mind. So I, I, frustration, that's the emotion, frustration. Okay, I have I have two thoughts that, and neither of them are about don't, don't chart our book, okay. um, but, but about stuff we've read before that I was thinking of. So I'm just going to share those. It's probably, whatever, I'm just going to share. One the description of the art and kind of what was happening reminded me, it gave me the similar energy uh, imagery to when we were seeing Shalon's backstory and like seeing the like glow from behind. Was it from the, like inside a box or whatever? Like in my head, it gave me a lot of the same imagery, mm-hmm. which probably isn't the case, but that's literally where my mind went instantly. I was like, is Shalon also a Dawn shard? But there's that. Uh, and then second is, I'm also wondering if somehow I'm trying to figure out why Renarin is so important and my thought is since these Dawn Shards are apparently what can help destroy Odium or like at least do something of that caliber. Um, and we know Renarin has to have a big part in this story as of the end of Oathbringer. So I keep thinking that maybe he is as well. That's all my thoughts. That, that that's not helpful. So, but that that's like what I was reminded of when we were reading this. I don't have that much judgments to make off of this because, like Elliot, I'm still struggling to figure out what this actually is or what's actually happening. 
there's a lot of good stuff here. I'm really glad that where you're going with this. The there's a couple key words that can help you define Dawn Shard in your head. And Nickly drops a few, Rissen drops a few after she picks up the Dawn Shard and can kind of explain to the reader what's happening in her head. Capital C command is is said. Intent with a capital I is said. And change um, with a capital C is is said. So the where have we seen capital C command before? Go ahead. Is that um this just popped into my mind. I did not think about it before. Is that like the term they use in Warbreaker for like imbuing something with yes. breaths? Yes. Is they command it? Okay. Who's I got a command on Roshar? I don't know, but um <laughs> but my thought with that was at the end we see how she sees things more vividly and it made me think of the investiture of breaths. Yep. And stuff. Who has command on Roshar? Isn't we see Hoyd probably has breaths, right? We've assumed that, but that's who that's has received a command on Roshar from Warbreaker. Um, Azure, uh, Hoyd. Uh, there's only a couple options. Keep going. Vasher. <laughs> One more. Nightblood. Nightblood. There you go. Nightblood. What is Nightblood's <laughs> command? Destroy. Destroy evil. evil. Okay. Does that help you at all? Capital C command is is kind of a ambiguous definition in the fandom we will get more of this at a future date so i'm not going to you know pull this thread completely and tell you that nightblood is a dawn shard but i do want you to keep the capital c command and dawn shard on the same in the in the same venn diagram that they are they're similar and they Rissen is getting a capital c command from this dawn shard to change capital c change Just to throw one more thought on that. We've just learned or been told it's not in this chapter. Maybe it is. I think it's later. That but but in Dawn Shard here, that the Dawn Shards, four of them four in of number, them. exactly four, were also used to I'm gonna mess up the specific word, which I'm sure is actually pretty important. Destroy Adonalsium? Yes. So we can kind of infer from that that, yeah, Risen has just inherited that level of power of, you know, capable of, again, I may be misusing some terms here, the original shattering of Adonalsium. Nightblood, we've gotten the impression from our various interactions with Nightblood, that that is like on par with what he's capable of. Right. That there is a destructive force within Nightblood that is like on the destroy gods level. I don't remember, maybe this is kind of what I've picked up across the course of events, or maybe there's a specific mention of it. I can't remember, but that's like what my takeaway from Nightblood has been. That's, that's what Nightblood can do. So uh, it does seem like we're talking about things on a similar playing field 
here. Any other thoughts on defining the Dawn Shard before we keep pushing here? I have another thought on the mural itself. Is this the right moment for that? It is. And before I before you go head on this, what are the two descriptive words that Rissin uses right like immediately with this mural? Where before she even realizes what before Nickley tells her what she's just done and absorbed a Dawn Shard. What are the two descriptive words she uses about the mural? Well, I'll tell you the two words that I walked away with. Maybe they're not the same as what you're going for, but the the two that I keyed in on are the color and the use of gold on the mural, and then her description of heat. Heat and like light feels is what a, I'm fishing for. Heat. Yep. Okay. So I'm going to key specifically into gold, which maybe is part of light. Heat and gold have been very intentional descriptions that we've seen before of odium. Yes, correct. When when people interact with odium, they come away with like a searing heat. Like that's the impression they're left with is this heat. And then he's always wearing gold. He's always associated with like this gold, lavish, luxurious kind of presence that's, that's symbolized by gold. So... I was at first, when Rissen walked in the room and saw that, terrified that this was going to tie directly to Odium. I can't tell if it is supposed to or not. I can't tell if, like, maybe heat and gold are are tying back to, like, something higher than Odium even. Like, the, the Odium, heat, and gold are the same reference as this, you know, Dawn Shard, heat, and gold. Or maybe they are more specifically tied together in that maybe Odium... And the Dawn Shards are closer related than we thought. Maybe Odium used the Dawn Shards to do stuff. I, I don't know. Totally going you know down some rabbit holes here, but that was the connection I was thinking of. I won't... I won't answer you any more than you should draw parallels bet- between the two. It, it, they are deliberately similarly described did you guys notice the mention of the cosmere by name from from nickley i thought that was pretty cool the only person who's ever used the cosmere as a word before this is hoyd and the sleepless seem to be on a similar playing field as hoyd of defending the cosmere um, by name and using that that term with Rosharans who have no idea that they're not alone out here. As I was reading through, um, that was what confused me the most. I was like, okay, what are they really trying to save the entire Cosmere from? Because like our concerns are saving our world here, right? Not like the entirety of existence everywhere or whatever right um but i think that was answered later i I kind of took that as these dawn shards when used together have the potential to destroy adonalsium just like an even bigger like thing so that that made sense but at first i was what's our first reference of dawn shards ever 
the one I remember is at the very end of The Way of Kings. It's like, oh, you can't do that or defeat. Good luck defeating Odium if you don't have the Dawn Shards or something like that. That's exactly correct. The one of the uh, video flashbacks from a uh, dead honor for Dalinar is, I th- believe it's Noadon at the top of destroyed Kolinar, and he's like, "Man, Odium sucks. Good luck." Uh... Oh, it's it's Honor himself talking through the person at that point and saying, "Odium has killed me. Good luck destroying him. You don't really have a chance unless you find the Dawn Shards." Is our first mention of Dawn Shards. Well, we have one now, so Riss, that's good. Rissen and Cord have one, and they're sworn to secrecy. True. So I don't, I don't know if we really Very have true. one. It'll come out at some point. We know where one is. Yeah, we we thought that about the Dark Sphere as well, and here we are, uh, three three thousand six hundred pages later, and it still hasn't come back out. Just saying. We saw. Wait, when did we see another mention of it? Because that was a big deal that we. we they brought it back up. Back. Our our characters have started to talk about it or or mention it again. So it's we're getting a hint. It may become relevant here very fast. But it was it was tied I, to I the joke. king's drop at the end of Oathbringer. Is what it is when okay. it came back up. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. All right, we'll pause this for a second and we'll get back to the what how we close this book with Rissen um here in a second. I want to talk about Lopin. And Lopin and Huyo have a fight on the beach. They're fighting this huge blobby great shell slug thing. And one of my if there's ever a quote that encapsulates Lopin exactly perfectly, it is Please, gods of the ancient Herdazians, don't let me get killed by a monster that looks so stupid. Please. I love that. It's so funny to me. Are you guys... Do you guys like Lopin or do you not like Lopin? Because if you like Lopin, you're going to like these chapters. If you don't like Lopin, you might just get annoyed. I'm pretty neutral in this. in the scenario of this. I've kind of isolated... Lopin and it's like kind of fun. I I'm not like whoa he's hilarious, but he has some really funny comments. And I think before when we asked about it and Brandon said we we you mentioned that Brandon Sanderson said that Lopin is just kind of the character that is always positive or joking no matter what's happening. And it's right. like he almost dies, and he's like wow please don't let me die to something this ugly you know like. You know, he doesn't really have like serious moments, I guess. So I'm indifferent towards him. I would never, I I would not put him amongst characters that I like, uh, but I don't dislike him. I I think to what you just said, I think we do get our very first serious Lopin moment in the epilogue of this book, which we'll talk about here in a second. But, uh, Elliot? I'll say it this way. I love reading about Lopin. I think he's hilarious. I, I really enjoy... I've enjoyed this story, getting to see inside Lopin's head. His jokes are pretty funny. He's the the comic relief, and he does it really well. 
I don't know that I would be able to stand hanging out with him very long. I, I think he he's, he strikes me as the kind of person that is is fun to have around. You know, sometimes they bring the life to the party for sure. But maybe this is just me speaking as introvert. That these kind of people are kind of exhausting. Like keeping up with with someone like Lopin in real life is is exhausting. And as the story actually kind of touches on, not always a positive experience either, which uh, Julio and Lopin have to kind of reconcile or, or talk about a bit here. But both Julio and Lopin's third ideals tie to Lopin's personality, which I think is kind of yes. kind of interesting. So, but I do love Lopin. Actually, he he is a, a a favorite character, and that I very much enjoy reading about his antics. I just thought of this. This is just a, a very side note. Um, if we redid the list of like our you know our character lists on a scale of who do you want to hang out with or spend time with, that would change everything. That would uh-huh. change so much stuff. Oh so, yes, yeah. I thought the moment that Julio spoke his third ideal was it was kind of actually a heartbreaking moment for me. Like I realized instantly in that moment, what his ideal was. Right. And I was like, Oh oh no, his ideal is that he hates Lopin. Like that's going to crush Lopin. I think it after processing kind of their discussion, I don't remember if that's in the epilogue or where it is. It, it seemed a little more nuanced than that, that there's some, some subtlety here. That's it didn't seem like it was necessarily like, Julio hates Lopin and he has to get over that. Like it was more of just a Julio has to accept Lopin for who he is or has to get past the kind of annoyance that Lopin is as opposed to like a, oh no, Julio actually hates him sort of thing. But it was still kind of like a crushing moment of like, I realized in that that second what they're going to have to deal with. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize it until Lopin confronts Huyo about it. So he's like, so uh Kaladin, Teft, and Sigzil's third ideal all had to do with uh hating something. And you just said the third ideal defending me, so uh he got something to tell me. <laughs> that ties into Lopin's third ideal, like shortly after that. What did you guys think of Lopin's third ideal? I really think it's kind of cool. It's interesting, and it showcases the flexibility, maybe, of the the oath system, the ideals system, and that, you know, in classic Lopin style, he's out there, like, you know, every couple of days shouting, I will protect those who I hate to the sky, just in the off chance that he'll get that third ideal. Like, that's that's just kind of how he rolls. And... But that's not what it is for about him. It's more about, you know, what he has to conquer on his own journey and what Lopin has to conquer is not really a hate of anyone else. It's not really a, I don't like this person. I have to protect them. Or like in Teft's case, he has to, you know, accept protecting himself, right? Standing up for himself and that side of thing. Lopin has to accept the fact that he's maybe not quite as likable as he thought he was. It's almost like I will protect those that, hate me almost right it was almost what it came down to and again hates hates a strong word there but 
It was more of a Lopez just had to realize kind of the effect that he's having and the way he's treating other people. And he has to kind of move forward in that. So a, a very different version of what our other wind runners did. It is. I, I like how it's unique to our different characters here. I didn't know that there would be that much like flexibility with the words. Like when we first saw it with Kaladin, I think that was one of my very favorite moments that we've read ever. Like I thought that was an incredible. Uh, like I was, I was shooketh. Um, while while listening to that, um, in this, like I think it's it's accurate in like how Lopin's character is. But I, I wasn't that big of a fan of it. I felt it, like, discounted some of the others. Like, it didn't feel that weighty of, of, like, if it really was. I think because there wasn't that strong of, like, a hatred for people, like, right? Like, whenever we saw Kaladin say, it was whenever he was saving Elokar, right? Yep. Like, like we knew Marsh. there yep. was, yes, there was a lot of... There was a lot of ill will and and feelings there, like very strongly, uh, and this just does not compare emotionally uh, right. for me. And so I feel like it's it's just a much weaker version. Um, the, like my honest opinion, I, it felt like it just wanted to get our our other characters to have a shard blade, um, so they could play the ball game. I I understand I, that. I think the punch is for Lopin where he realizes that if he goes through life, making everybody the butt of, of every joke, he, that he has to accept that that actually can hurt people. And I need to protect people from myself sometimes that I, I need to hold back and not push everybody down all the time. Even if it's just jokes that that can be actually be hurtful. I think that's where the punch comes for comes for that. If it is it as epic as I will protect those I hate. You know, whatever. yeah. That's true. I did I like how it kind of worked in conjunction with uh with Huyo's um right like like he kind of had this moment of protecting Lopin and getting his third ideal, and that kind of, I feel like that kind of gave Lopin the realization of his impact on others, uh, which which I thought was really cool. I I did like that a lot. Um. I agree. I I agree also that his third ideal here it maybe isn't on quite the same scale of epic as you know a Kaladin ideal or a a, a Teft ideal, but. And that also seems fairly appropriate for Lopin. He just doesn't seem to, you know, operate on that level. He's much more in the moment. He's much more, you know, joking around. So for him to have a, like a personal moment here where he has to, you know, examine himself a little bit, it it, it also felt, even though it was smaller in scale, it very much in line with, I think, kind of where Lopin is at and the the role that he fills. Anything else for Lopin? I want to talk about Cord here in a second, but anything else for Lopin? All right. So up until now, Cord has been our, our luck spread guide. She can see all the spread everywhere. She can 
give a little bit of insight of towards the sleepless, towards Chiri Chiri. And they show up on in this underwater chasm. And she sees shard plate, puts it on real quick, and then is there to defend defend Rissen. There's a couple cool one-liners from from Cord to to unpack here. I re- I really like Cord as as a character. So what are you what are you guys' thoughts? She seems really driven by that shard plate. Like she'll drop everything just to get a set of shard plate. And I think earlier on in the journey they talked and they were like, you know, Cord, what's what's your motivation for this trip? And she's like, treasure. And yeah. you were kind of waiting for that to be a joke. And then it's not like, no, she's actually here for shard plate. Like that's all she is is trying to do here, which that's what Rock was doing originally as well. Like he left the Horninger Peaks simply to get shard plate for his people. It, I still don't think I understand, even with a little bit of information we've gotten here about the Horn Eaters, why are they so bent on getting shard plate? I totally understand how powerful it is and how important it is and how disadvantaged they are that the Horn Eaters don't have any shard plate and the other cultures do. But it seems like for, for now multiple people to have left the Horn Eater Peaks with like no other quest other than to simply attain shard plate is... I don't know. Odd. I thought this didn't actually make sense, I guess. Like, I think a lot of people in our story aren't really in the same mindset as the characters we're following, right? So people in my head, people in the Horn Eater Peaks have been just trying to get shard plates or shard blades for years because uh, they're the only Link Nation that doesn't. And we hear from Cord here how it kind of feels that they're not respected or like people won't bother like trading with them or just kind of like almost feel like they're the the country that was picked last at recess you know like right. they, they're they kind of a little little out there um and wanting to do that but i think getting like a set of plate and blade is just like still still thinking back it was it felt way more significant in the way of kings Right, sure. but like the the fact that it's worth like a kingdom, right? Like, um, it was back in the way of kings. I don't know if it still is. Yeah, that that's what I was saying. Right, uh, but I in my head the in my head this may not be true, but in my head our our horn eaters are probably still sort of like that. You know, like like some places may not know the depth of what's going on with all the radiance and stuff. Um, they definitely, you know, it's, it's not less, it's, it's less of a deal now, but. So um, I think it's actually the other direction here. What? So for, for years and years and years, what's the deepest, darkest horn eater secret that they don't tell anybody unless you're drunk and rock tells everybody. The perpendicularity? The perpendicularity. It's just a matter of time before either the Voidbringers or the Knights Radiant decide, hey, this this, uh, perpendicularity would be really, really handy to have. So even before the Way of Kings, the uh, the Horn Eaters have decided we need to be a player on, on on the Roshar stage. And how do you do that? You go win some plate. 
So that's that's their motivation is they need to be able to defend themselves against the Voidbringers, the the Knights Radiant that are it's just a matter of time before they come for cultivation's perpendicularity, which they've been tasked with defending. So that's that's the motivation there. Does that help at all? Think so. I still wonder if there's a more specific reason, like if there's some task they're trying to achieve that requires, you know, shards and, and they can't ask for help from anybody else because they can't reveal that they have a perpendicularity or whatever it is, but to, to do whatever they feel like they need to do, they need shards. It seems like that's where this headed. Now, maybe the answer to that is like you're implying that they just want to defend their land. I'm a little more suspicious than that. Maybe. Sure. And uh, horn eaters are way more investiture aware than the rest of Roshar is. They know what aluminum does. They know that shards can resist um, aluminum and what aluminum does to spren and all that fun stuff. And they can see the spren that most people can't. So they're, they're way more aware of that. And they can maybe understand the implications of an investiture-powered armor better than that someone else could. Another mystery, maybe, about the, the Horn Eaters. And I've been trying to look up the quote and I can't find it, but the reference, there's an offhand reference that Cord makes about other gods. She, she's like talking about the Sleepless. And we, we learned that she like has had interactions with them before, or, or her people have had interactions with the Sleepless before. And she's, she, you know, it's like, oh, you can't trust them. You, the only way out of their, you know, clutches, you have to trick them and, and things like that. But she also sort of mentions like, you know, we have experience in making treaties with other gods. And then just like moves on. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> what? You have experience in treaties with other gods besides these these sleepless things. What all is coming out of that perpendicularity up there? Like what? Who we've learned that they know about aluminum. They know they know lots about spren. They know about sleepless. You know, oh yeah, those sleepless guys. We know about them. Like what else is there? What else are we going to come across that the horn eaters just like? Oh yeah, those guys. We we see them every few months. You know, they pop out of our pool and, and chat, and we make deals with them, and then they move on. Like, dude, there's a lot going on up there. That was my takeaway from you know six words in one sentence. I have I have no further input besides yes i agree that there's something fishy going on up there at the horn eater peaks that i would like to know about maybe rock will tell us in rhythm of war you better or better yet we need to go there you need to actually like you know have our characters travel there and see what's happening yeah i'm done to While take a vacation Go sit sit at the the nice little poolside resort up in the yeah. top of the Hornier Peaks. Yeah, exactly. I there think... was actually a section that I was going to read Go ahead. if we've still got some time here. Yeah, because when it comes to like cord, you know, one liner drops 
she has a pretty pretty big one here in the middle of this conversation here in this chapter. And she's actually talking about Rock, her father. And it's now making me wonder about him even more. And this this scene is where Nick Lee has come out of the water and is kind of facing down Rissen. And Cord like challenges him to a a, a duel. And Nick Lee's like what? What's going on? Yes, fine. I'll duel you. And Cord responds with this. And I'm going to read some hornier names here, so I apologize right now for my pronunciation. Just ask Paul to translate. Yes, I will. Ha! She asked. Or she said, You have been tricked, God. I am Hualinam Luna Akiakilu, the daughter of Numuhuku Makiaki Aina Lunamor, the Falala Likinor, who drew the bow of hours at the dawn of the new millennium, heralding the years of change. If you were to kill me, you would be violating the ancient pact of the Seven Peaks, and so must now forfeit the battle. Kind of goofy and epic, and Nickley again responds with like, what? N- Nickley <laughs> looks at her and says, excuse me. I do not, I do not care. <laughs> yeah. but, then- but in her... In her little epic challenge there, there's some nuggets you can pull out of there. None that make any sense, but stuff we can like, you know, write down on the, ooh, I got, I want to learn more about this. She's, she's talking about rock as if he's some legendary figure from like, you know, history who drew the bow of hours at the dawn of the new millennium. What is this the same rock that like cooks stew and just kind of chills and like encourages people and doesn't really do anything. Oh, fighting. No, I don't really do that. Or air sick oh, you know, lender. Yeah, exactly. I just sit here and make fun of people. Like, is, are we talking about the same guy here? Like now I'm really, really yeah. intrigued. What has rock done in his past that cord is referencing here? I I'm glad you brought this up because I, I noticed that kind of right away. Uh, Cause we knew he had done something with like archery, right? Yep. He knew we knew he we knew he knew how to shoot a bow. Right? Mm-hmm. Cuz we that was a whole thing in like the way of kings. Yep. And we were just kind of offhanded, but this seems like it has bigger implications. He he also just... he also snipes Amram in the chest and between the eyeslit of his armor from Thalen City, like 300 yards away. He snipes Amram with a shard bow and kills him. Through the through the exposed gem heart and through the slit of his armor, he's a good shot. So whatever the bow of ours is, who knows? Seriously, and what the ancient pact of the seven peaks that Cord is apparently trying to trick Nickley into to violating here? One sounds important. Again, what are those horn eaters up to up there that they have this pact with? gods and, and creatures and things but then two why does nickley not know what she's talking about nickley is a sleepless who has access to like this horde you know hive mind thing of these people who've been around for the impression we've gotten is many 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 years is cord making stuff up because why does nickley not know what she's talking about that's my other question that this is kind of funny. 
So I I thought this was going to be a super huge relevant reveal, and Nick Lee was going to be like, oh my gosh, you got me. Uh, like, dang it. Right. Yeah. Not this it. again. Oh my gosh. The dawn of millennia, whatever, bow of hours. And then he was like, um, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> and stuff, which I thought, I actually thought was hilarious. And also very, or, like, Hornator fashion. I could see Rock doing the same thing, and all the Bridge 4 guys being like, Thank you, Rock. Um, does anyone want to like do this or whatever? But like, I don't, I don't know what to make of it. Other than I'm sure it's a very big, important horn eater tradition or event that happened. Um, but I'm curious to learn how much like actual significance there is with it, because they refer to a lot of stuff in the horn eater peaks. Um, but I don't know how much of it we like. We kind of take it with a grain of salt, and we're like, "Oh, it's probably not anything big." I think there's three options here. Either one, Core just made all of that stuff up, and mm-hmm. she's just going down this path of like, "Oh, the way you defeat sleepless is you trick them," and so she's like completely spinning this ridiculous thing to try and like catch them off guard. That's option one. Option two. She's telling the truth. Rock has done some epic things and uh, changed the course of history. And however, it didn't impact like the greater Roshar. So Nickley doesn't really know about it. Or three, Nickley does know about it. And he's pretending in this moment that he doesn't. And he's like, yeah, whatever you, whatever you're talking about, crazy person, let's get back to business. Kind of like sweeping it under the rug a little bit. And maybe he does know exactly what she's talking about in this history. Either way, most of those options end up with Rock as a more impactful character than we thought he was. At least I thought he was. It's true. Who actually saves the day as opposed to Kord's uh, threats? Cheery, cheery. Cheery, cheery. So she comes back and Nick Lee explains that she went to bond a Luxpren, um herself. Cheery, cheery did. She comes back into the room, into the smaller room, uh, and just lets Nick Lee have it. <laughs> Little yappy dog over here trying to defend Rissen. And... It works. Nicholas gives greater pause to what Rissen's trying to persuade him of because Chiri Chiri's defending Rissen and Rissen was granted Chiri Chiri for a reason. And he reveals that there are three known Larkin that are mature and alive on Roshar. We've seen two of them. Chiri Chiri. Who's got the other one? I was trying to reason this out of my head. The other one we saw was in the hands of Nail, our Skybreaker Herald. Yes, Nail has the other one. There's another person who has a dead one. Do you remember a dead Larkin showing up somewhere? This was the beginning of Words of Radiance. I, I remember hearing about this, but that was like before we even knew there could be a live one, right? Actually, there's two dead ones. One, Ga- or not Gavilar, Elokar 
has a dead Larkin just kind of in his office on the Shattered Plains. Two is Marais of the Ghostbloods. He has a dead Larkin just kind of chilling in his trophies in on the Shattered Plains in both Inwards of Radiance. I actually did not remember those two, either one of those two. And, but maybe subliminally I did because I was trying to theorize who, who might have our third Larkin, who's going to come out of the woodwork with a surprise. I can drain all your stormlight. The, the group of people that I would guess fit that bill would be ghost bloods. Like if, if the ghost Bloods showed up with, Oh yeah. And we've also got a Larkin. I wouldn't be surprised. But now you're reminding us we've seen a dead one in their custody already. Maybe that's more evidence that they might also have a live one, perhaps? It's evidence that they at least pay attention to it enough to trophy it, right? Right. So yeah, who who has the other Larkin? There's now a question I want to keep an eye out for as we go forward. And assuming the Sleepless know about Nails Larkin, and that's one of the three that we're counting here, Nails Larkin has not matured enough to come back to Aemia. They're, they're saying that Chiri Chiri is the only one who has returned to Aemia to bond a Luxbren and grow uh, physically from that. So you guys remember when I told you that sucking in Voilight made her, made her sick? That is kind of true. I kind of lied to you that... That that might feed into her maturity of that that might have pushed her into I need to go back to Aemia to bond a Spren territory, but it's whether that's a causation or correlation that's a that's the question. I'll never trust you again. Yeah, you're welcome. It does appear that Cherry Cherry can grow like, you know, full dragon chasm fiend size, so that's pretty cool. There's that's that seemed to be the reference at the end or the implication that Risen's like, oh man, Cherry Cherry's gonna grow to be huge. How am I gonna handle this? Like, great question. How are they gonna handle that? Now I'm gonna picture Risen riding into battle on the back of of cheery cheery the full-size dragon larkin wielding her mind dawn shard as she destroys <laughs> odium in the final <laughs> oh showdown. my gosh now that i forgot about the dawn shard part too like she just flies in sucks everyone's stormlight no one gets to play she's the only player in the game now uses her dawn shard powers and says, like, I don't know, I command you, Odium, to poof out of existence. And he poofs out of existence. And then problem solves. Sandra Lynch, book five. <laughs> yep, there we go. <laughs> I, do, I do want to take this and kind of tie it. As we're approaching Rhythm of War next week, you guys are finally approaching Rhythm of War next week. W- we're zooming out of our little novella here that's a voyage to Aemia. What are what is the state of Roshar going into Rhythm of War based on this book? We have a Dawn Shard, which we have found. Rissen has found, but there's a couple what's the final contract between the Sleepless and Rissen 
and how does that affect the greater Roshar? Rissen is teaching the sleepless how to be more human, right? Yes, she is. How to act more human. And there was another part of it, right? Well, she's she's pretty much sworn to secrecy or these, like, lies they kind of have in place when people ask, like, oh, how was your trip to Aemia? Right. She's like, well, great. You know, we had a lovely time, and uh, we saw, we got all these gem hearts or fabrioles or whatever they are taking back with them. Um, and leaving it there. And the the greater geopolitical landscape we're going to step back into is basically our heroes control half-ish of Roshar, and the singers control the other half, including about a half-ish split of the Oath Gates. We've got Odium, who's been dealt a bit of a blow by Dalinar's perpendicularity, awesome glowiness, whatever you want to call it. But we we know that Odium is not gone. Odium is certainly not gone. And Odium has agreed to a contest of champions. Do you guys remember that? So halfway through Oathbringer, Dalinar says with that this is advice from Honor himself from Tanavast. Dalinar says, I, I challenge you to a contest of champions, and the entirety of Roshar is at stake. And he agrees to that, thinking that he's going to have Dalinar be his champion. He has groomed Dalinar from his youth with the thrill. He's going to present Dalinar with the thrill at Thalen City. Dalinar's my champion. Oops, you guys don't have a champion because Dalinar was going to be your champion. I win. You know, game over. Dalinar refuses that. Now, the the contest of champions has yet to happen, and Odium has agreed to it. There is a lot of merit there. Okay? Now, going back to the end of The Way of Kings, Tanavast saying, you guys should probably find some Dawn Shards if you're going to have a chance. We have just found a Dawn Shard. However, the Sleepless still have it. Pretty much. Like, Rissen, Rissen has it in her head. and But she's sworn to secrecy. Kord is sworn to secrecy with a couple caveats of, if you want to tell someone, ask us first and we'll we'll talk it with you. Uh, because they know that humans want to talk about things. Um, so if you want to confide in someone, come talk to us first. And we can maybe let, you know, maybe Dalinar, maybe Kaladin, you know, people of importance in on this secret if it if we think it'll help because the sleepless are very still much on their own side and they're going to make sure the dawn chart is safe at all costs um so that's where that's where we're at right here any predictions on if this is going to play in rhythm of war or if this is going to wait till book five or anything like that any up until this point, Rissen has gotten one interlude in each book, and now she has her own novella. So is she going to get a customary one interlude in Rhythm of War? Is she going to be a bigger player? Is all this going to pause until book five? Predictions? I think... 
I think Rissen as a character is going to be more involved in our story, but I think if there's a reveal to our, our other significant characters about her Dawn Shard, then that is either going to... I think it's going to be in Book 5. I don't think it's going to be in Rhythm of War. If it is in Rhythm of War, it's going to be Sander Lanch time. Like, end of the book, end of Part 4 or Part 5 or something. Um... Yeah. I agree. I, I'm guessing this is going to follow the model set by Lyft already, where Lyft got her her own little novella, and then she entered the story in that she's not in interludes, but she like kind of pops in and out kind of here and there. And even with Lyft, we've been told that Lyft has a very powerful ability that seemingly no one else has she has this sort of like immunity to odium that no one else appears to have that would be very important but we haven't really seen that like come to bear yet and so i'm wondering if risen's gonna risen's gonna kind of do the same thing where risen is gonna be okay now we know she's super important she's carrying something really valuable she'll probably start showing up a little bit more but i don't know that she's gonna come you know front and center in this very next book so i'm i'm with you paul either end of book four or book five, as I think where this is really going to become relevant. The immunity to odium part is interesting because part of this pact that she pulls with the sleepless includes you are not allowed to become a knight's radiant. You are not allowed to bond a spren. So our discussion from last episode, as far as this deal that's just been struck is fairly obsolete that she's not allowed to bond a Spren, even if a Spren is trying to bond her. So one thing I will say on that, it was made clear in this, in these later chapters here, that Risen can't really wield the Dawn Shard. It, it's talked about how you have to have, like, the power of a god in order to wield. You have to have, that. this is back to, to that you word. You have to be Sasebron, basically. Right. You have to have yeah. reached you yeah, you have to have reached a height of, you know, mental power or yeah, um what was it? Like a thousand breaths or something like that? Yeah. Investiture. You yeah. you have to you have to maybe perhaps reach a certain level of, you know, awareness or investiture or something. You you have to be able you have to have godlike powers in order to wield this thing. Like that's just how powerful it is. So as of right now, Rissen is just kind of like the, the embodiment of it. She she's just the vessel. The vessel. I, I know that that has other you know implications that maybe are incorrect here, but right. she, she can't do anything with it. So so the the sleepless still have a lot of power over her. So when they say, "Hey, you can't become a radiant," she better not become a radiant. However, if something were to happen, and Rissen could figure out how to wield this thing. I get the impression there ain't nobody in the Cosmere that's going to get to tell her what to do at that point. If she could somehow achieve that level of investiture or that level of power, if she has some sort of a level up moment, if she were to bond a, a spren of special magnificence and become a cosmic power and she can wield the Dawn Shard, yeah, I, I don't think the Sleepless is little embargo there is going to matter anymore that now maybe it doesn't go down that path 
but maybe it does. It just begs the question of why am I not allowed to become a radiant, right? Like, which would lead you to assume that, oh, if I get investiture, if I get, you know, fourth ideal, fifth ideal, eventually, could I then wield the Dawn Shard? And that's what they're, that's why the rule is there. My guess, my first guess is that it's simpler than that. It's that the Sleepless want to control Rissen, so they want to be the only power in her life. Whereas when if she bonds a spread, now there's there's another influence there. There's a there's a voice in her head. There's another being out there that has an agenda or has a you know that might talk to Risen about you know hey maybe you shouldn't trust the sleepless and you should go do this. I think the sleepless just don't want that in her head. That's my first guess. But yeah, maybe more practical reasons of that maybe unlocks some power that they're really worried about, or maybe that would give her the ability to actually summon a physical object or weapon of a dawn chart and wield it like yeah risen I, I commented on this in in our our some of our our discord channels of our early look stuff i think risen just went from side character we really didn't care too much about or think was going to be important to perhaps one of the most important characters period maybe i agree with you but I I think Risen will become one of our most important characters, uh, but I don't think that's going to happen for a while. So I'm kind of... Maybe where Renarin sort of was before we started Oathbringer, I'm kind of having that that thought. Like, And I don't know how... I don't think I knew Renarin would be that important going into Oathbringer. I don't remember. But right now I'm like, Renarin has to be a major player going forward. And that's like what I'm maybe most curious about moving forward. Um, but R- Rissen is definitely on that like tier now, like with Renarin of like, we know they're going to be integral in some capacity to the conclusion of our like storyline. Uh, but when will that happen? I'm, I'm afraid not this book. And it seems like a end of end of the storyline breakthrough to me. Sounds good. Pushing into Rhythm of War, whose point of view chapters are Rhythm of War? Do you guys know? You told us Venley, right? Yes, Venley. And during the draft, he Brandon Sanderson switched it from Eshenai to Venley. So there's a couple, actually, Eshenai point of view chapters um the specifically flashback so like when you mm-hmm. the way of kings is kaladin's book but that's you get kaladin flashback chapters in book four we're going to get venli and eshenai flashback chapters so if you go ahead um and uh elliot don't let him fool you too much remember none of our characters actually die so we will find out we'll see eshenai current day and she'll be like whoops i was just sleeping and then um you stole me back. You stole timber from me. Give her back. Yeah, exactly. That was my spoon. Wouldn't <laughs> and, be surprised. And just to Not give you guys a little bit of a refresher on where Vendley is, she has just sworn life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination at the end of Oathbringer. That is the first ideal of the Knights Radiant. And she has housed timber in her gem heart 
coexisting with the void spren that is in there. She didn't kill the void spren, so she still appears as a a void spren singer. But Timber is also hiding in there, pulling the strings to give you some some reference on where Venley is for you guys. So Venley's gonna. I don't know if y'all have seen that meme. Venley can either be our angle or our devil. <laughs> It's gonna be like game. light and dark. I'm sorry. It's it's just a really low quality thing. Of like the angel on one shoulder, demon on another shoulder, oh. kind of thing. You know. Okay. Um. All right. Any any more on Dawn Shard before I read something out of Oathbringer and give you a little bit of a mic drop before the end of the episode? Just a a tiny quick mention. I will say that I really enjoyed this book. And I actually really enjoyed Rissen's character as well. I, I really liked her journey, her struggle with that imposter syndrome, Trevor, that you mentioned a, a, a bit ago that she kind of has to face and her battle with her you know, physical disability and her mental agility with having to do these negotiations. Like she is clever. She is smart. She has come a long way from that first you know, girl, immature girl we, we saw who was frustrated having to carry grass around with her. Like for, for not a lot of screen time, we've come a long way with her character and I really enjoyed it. I think she, she might've just risen but I'm <laughs> into <laughs> my top five, five characters out there. So I, that she, she's a new favorite going forward. All right. Question for you guys. In the two places where Rissen describes the Dawn Shard, what does she describe it as? We already talked about it briefly, but what are the what are the words she uses? The heat and light. Heat and light. And then after she absorbs it in the epilogue, what happens to her? What seems to be happening to her? She sees things more vibrantly, hears things more vibrant. Like she can hear music in the voice of what's his face, and colors seem more vibrant. And stuff G- gave me a lot of the Warbreaker breaths, heightenings, energy. All right. With that context, I'm going to read an excerpt from Rhythm or from uh, Rhythm Before from Oathbringer. I'm not going to give you any context. You'll have plenty of context from the first line of where this is in the book. You cannot have my pain. Dalinar sneered at the god. If I pretend I didn't do those things, it means that I can't have grown to become someone else. A failure, Odium said. Something stirred inside Dalinar, a warmth that he'd known once before, a warm, calming light. Unite them. And one more. The very last page of the book. Before the epilogue. Most importantly, Dalinar could write this. His thoughts, his pains, his life. He looked to the side where Navani had placed the handful of blank pages he needed her to bring. He asked her to bring. Too few. Far, far too few. He dipped his pen again. Would you close the balcony doors again, Jemhart? he asked her. The sunlight is distracting me from the other light. Other light? He nodded absently. What next? 
prevailing theory contradicts mine, unfortunately. Do you guys remember the theory that I gave you of a fourth shard present on Roshard that Silverlight doesn't know about named Unity? The Dawn Shard that Rissen has picked up is titled Change. Uh, Brandon Sanderson confirmed that. There is a theory that Dalinar either has the Dawn Shard Unity and doesn't know about it, or there is a Dawn Shard Unity trying to talk to him and telling him, unite them. I... I dig it. I had a thought going into this book that Rissen would become at some point one of our uh, I'm assuming we're going to get another Bondsmith at some point. And I was thinking Rissen would become that other Bondsmith somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is like that, but different. It's like they both are Dawn Shards instead of Bondsmiths. I like that prevailing theory quite a bit. It does It does seem to fit. I do remember wondering about that light that Dalinar had mentioned a couple times. So a few pieces seeming to align there. I'm still struggling with where Odium fits into this. Why, why are these similar descriptors as what we get from Odium? Is this an Odium thing? That are this, or or is Odium like wielding another of the Dawn shards, Did, or something? And this is me genuinely asking: Does the Sabron ever have a description of heat? No idea. There's a good question, because heat may just be an overpowering of investiture. Like there's a bunch of investiture here to the point where it's thermal. Mm-hmm. I, I was gonna say, like, it very well could be that Odium has a Dawn Shard or something, and like has the actual power to use it, and that's why we see such a big display of like raging heat and and light. Um, because he's like where I would imagine of that level, right? Of of like god status, you know, in power. Um. Maybe that's Odium's endgame. Maybe he's trying to collect all four of the the Dawn Shards. Maybe he has one or more already. And whatever he's trying to do, destroy the universe, who knows, requires all four. Hmm. The, the main contention with this theory is... Why don't the sleepless have Dalinar locked up? Right. If if Dalinar has a Dawn shard, why do the sleep? Why don't the sleepless pay any attention to him? They could not know it exists if he has it, but they they see they don't seem to be paying much attention to Dalinar. What if? What if Odium does have a Dawn Shard? And that's the Dawn Shard that's talking to Dalinar. What if 
what if it is a Donshar talking to Dalinar, but it's not like in him yet. It's still with Odium. But Dalinar's frequent encounters with Odium have given this Donshar a chance to reach out to Dalinar. It's a good one. I, I like it. I don't, I've never heard it before. Like but... unite them as in like if you unite the other Dawn Shards, then maybe you could defeat ODM and therefore like free it too. Like that Dawn Shard, maybe. maybe. Um, unite them probably has a big, big plethora of meanings. Like the people, the cosmic level of like these Dawn Shards. Maybe out of himself. Yeah. Because if you remember back in the Way of Kings, the first time you hear Adonalsium, Hoyd is talking to Dalinar and says, have you ever heard of Adonalsium? If you if you ever reassemble someone like a, like a Dissian Amian, name it Giblatish, that seems to be a direct reference to, hey, if you ever get around to reassembling and listening to Unite Them, uh, if you name something... If you unite either, you know, Adonalsium or Honor, if you if you unite Honor back together, it it could it could apply to whatever. Who knows? Um, you know, name it after me is what Hoyd's one liner there is. Anything else before we close? I'll just no say thoughts I am about more... clothes. It not about clothes. But I am I am more excited than ever to get into Rhythm of War as as usual with our little hiatus sees. It's been fun to take a break to go dive into some other, you know, stories and characters and material. But, oh, man, I am itching to get back to our story and our big characters. And all of this has just kind of thrown fuel on that fire. I got to know where we're headed. Sounds good. Before you know it, we might be Stormlight. Uh, current? Current. Thank you. That's that's the word. We're into Rhythm of War next week. We're not gonna we're not gonna stop until we're done. So, the long book. It is a long book. It's a long book. Yeah, it took so us what this... seven months to get through Oathbringers. So... Nine. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say I. <laughs> I was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got a little while yet, but oh, we're close. Oh man, yeah, true. Like honestly, we're coming up to like the year mark from when we started Oathbringer. So we've got a little ways. Is there is there supposed to be a novella or anything between Rhythm of War and Stormlight Five? Yes, and it is yeah. titled Horn Eater. Okay. That's it. Horn eater. Nice. Alright. We'll get to learn about that bow of whatever. Yeah, there there's gonna many be our backstory. on the millennium of Falcons, you know? Alright. Thank you for joining me for Don Shard, Paul and Elliot, and we will be talking about Rhythm of War, prologue through chapter three next week. See you guys then. See you next week. Peace out.